I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside from false, to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without numbers surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be together. Second Sunday of a new year. Um, we often have visitors uh, coming through. Um, so if I haven't met you before, my name's Graham, and it's really a pleasure that you are with us to worship the Lord. Uh, during COVID, um, I read a psalm a day. Um, there's that old saying that an apple a day keeps the doctor away. It's good for our physical health, but a psalm a day keeps the evil away, perhaps. Uh, it's really crucial for our spiritual health that we make use of these psalms, make use of these prayers, because they are all spoken out of the ordinary circumstances of life. 150 of them to guide us in how to respond as believers when we are going through all the ups and downs and unexpected twists and, twists and turns that life can give us. 
Last week, uh, Cameron helped us look through Psalm 26, the blameless life. So this week, we're looking at Psalm 40, the devoted life. When I read this during COVID, um, the three words in my mind as I read it was eyes wide open. It's a psalm where David sees something of the Lord, sees something of what he is like, and it inspires him to live a devoted life. So we're going to explore that today and see what this devoted life might look like. We'll make six observations. We'll make applications along the way. Uh, but first, let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that you have uh, gathered us together this morning. Many of us know and love you, and others are seeking you, seeking to know you, and to know what you are like. So we pray that you would reveal yourself to us, and reveal the Lord Jesus to us this morning that by your spirit you would open our eyes and open our hearts that we might see and believe and obey. Help us to understand well. Help me as I preach. Help all of us as we sit under your word uh, to listen and obey. Amen. Okay, verses 1 to 3, it speaks of a personal testimony of David. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. <clears throat> he turned to me and heard my cry. He was in a slimy pit. He was in mud and mire. We don't know all the detail of what the circumstances were, but I'm sure you can resonate with these feelings, those times when we are thick and heavy with the circumstances of life. And what did God do for David in that circumstance? Look at the verbs or the doing words of God. He turned to me and listened. God responds when we cry to him. Despite the froth and bubble of seven billion people in the world, he's able to hear your voice and able to hear my voice and turn his face to us and respond to the cries of our hearts. His face is turned to the cry of the humble heart. His ear is attentive to their cry. His ears are open to their needs. He sees, he hears. It's the regular testimony of the Psalms. What else does God do? He rescues. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. He lifted me up. He establishes, he gave me a firm place to stand, and he inspires, gave David a new song, a song of grace and hope and faith and love rather than despair. And David's desire is that many would see and hear. And this psalm is an expression of that. 3,000 years later, we are listening and hearing and trusting because David had seen something of the Lord and gave testimony to what he'd seen so that others would hear and believe. Now, there are many biblical examples of this. Moses and Miriam, a brother and sister together, saved through the Red Sea, said, we need to write a song together. And they wrote it in Exodus 15. 
Hannah, a barren, broken, discarded woman, cries out to the Lord in 1 Samuel 2, and the Lord hears and responds and gives her the hope of a new baby. Mary in Luke 1 is visited by the angel and responds to that promise of the incarnation with a song, a psalm of praise. And many of David's psalms are like this. Songs of deliverance, of the Lord listening and responding and rescuing. So two thoughts with application. A number of people from this church, the week before Christmas, we went away with a bunch of kids, high school kids. Um, and we're on the East Coast. And during the afternoons, we would gather and we would read a psalm. And then Jazz was leading those sessions. And she said, look, I want to put a challenge out there. Maybe there's some people here that would like to write a psalm. Now, two girls took that offer up. And two days later, they asked, look, can we, write, can we sing this psalm? One of them sung it from piano, did a solo. The other one sung it on a ukulele. She'd had a cross-cultural um, life experience, so she sung it bilingually. It was rich. And all of us thought, this is awesome. Here are these young 15, 16-year-olds that have seen something of God and found a way to express it from their personal testimony so that others would see and hear. The other really cool thing as we were watching the beauty and the courage of these young women was a pack of fellas, all 10 of them just stood up at the end and just gave this exuberant standing ovation because they'd seen the courage of their sisters and they thought we have seen something of God through them and we want to give with all our youthful energy and excitement and exuberance and we want to express that for the glory of God and for the encouragement of our sisters. Another example, Kate's just mentioned about heading to South Asia. She will go as a living testimony, a living testimony of what God is able to do in the life of someone that looks to her. And as she was sharing, just these words came to my mind. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's what by faith we are praying for these 169 and a half million people in this country in South Asia. Testimonies are not just about our conversion. They are about us seeing the grace of God at work in our lives on a regular basis and calling that to attention and speaking it out. What else does a devoted life look like? Number two, a matured trust from verses 4 and 5. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. A firm conviction had developed inside of David as he experiences the repeated faithfulness of the Lord in his life. It becomes a matured trust in God's character, in who God is at the core of his being. David saw that God is good and wise and able. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. He gives grace to the humble. He is worth trusting. 
Now, this trust is developed through both his acts of providence and his acts of deliverance. God's acts of providence are those regular, faithful, daily acts where he provides for our physical and emotional and relational and spiritual life. And God's acts of deliverance are those interventions where he steps in in particular ways, often in response to our prayers or the prayers of others. God is over all of our circumstances and he arranges them with love and care and diligence so that we would be humble and we would have eyes wide open to see him at work and to look to him and to seek him and reach out and find him. Now David had cultivated a habit of the heart to keep his eyes wide open to see the work of God in his life and put words to it. Verse 5, many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. He looks to the past and sees wonderful evidences of God at work. And the things you plan for us, no one can rent count to you. Were I to speak of them and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. He looks to the future and knows God is always at work to enact his good and perfect plan according to his promises. And as David looks to the past and as he looks to the future, he knows. That means he can trust God right now in the present, today, in this moment, that God is good and wise and able to care for him right now. Now, some application. How might we cultivate this particular habit of grace? You might be familiar with the, with the word Sabbath. In Hebrew, it's Shabbat. It means to stop. You can yell it at your kids, maybe, if they understand Hebrew. Um, it tells us to stop once a week. And one of the reasons we are told to stop is in order to remember the goodness of God. Deuteronomy 5 speaks to that first generation of Israelites rescued through the Red Sea. And God says once a week, I want you to stop and remember. Remember my acts of deliverance and remember my acts of providence. Do you have a habit like that in your life? Perhaps a daily habit at the end of the day where you identify some things and express that gratitude to the Lord. Perhaps once a week on a Sunday afternoon, you sit down and with your friends or family, those that you live with, you express gratitude for the Lord at work. Perhaps on this second Sunday of a new year, you want to take some time today to reflect on 2022 and appreciate God's goodness and wisdom and his power in your life. Another application, during Christmas I was given this book, it's called Every Moment Holy, and it contains all sorts of prayers to help us in all the ordinary circumstances of life to respond. It's kind of like the book of Psalms. There's ones for husbands and wives at the start of the day and at the end of the day. There's ones for when you're changing nappies. There's ones for when the bushfire comes through. 
or when you're seeing a sunset. There's one for the loss of electricity. I thought, I don't know when I'm going to use that, but this week someone drove into a, a pole and the wires came down and we were in a blackout. And I thought, okay, let's grab the candles and let's see how we might respond. I'll read you a couple of the passages. It says, be to us that true light, even as we pause here in this sudden and unexpected darkness. Shape our hearts, O God, as we pause in this brief absence of blessings so often taken for granted. Blessings of illumination, of lamps and lights, of refrigeration of appliances and of digital devices of air conditioners and heat pumps and hot water. We thank you for these many comforts and conveniences that we enjoy. It's often in the absence of things that we actually notice that they've been there faithfully every day and we have neglected to appreciate the Lord's faithfulness in them. So a matured trust cultivated as we reflect on the faithful providence and deliverance of the Lord. So a resolved heart. Now these next verses are a little bit complex, but their meaning will become clear as we observe, firstly, and ultimately, that these are written about Jesus. And secondly, and amazingly, they were written by David a thousand years before Jesus came. Firstly, they were written about Jesus, these next verses six through to eight. In Hebrews 10, it quotes these words very explicitly as spoken by Christ when he came into the world. And that blows your mind. The writer of Hebrews explains that when it says, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require, the writer of Hebrews explains that that sacrificial system that was there for thousands of years, was in place just for a season. It was there to prepare the world for the once-for-all sacrifice that Jesus was to make. The, the sacrificial system taught us that sin was serious, that forgiveness requires the shedding of blood, that a perfect, unblemished sacrifice is needed, and that those who trust in the way that God provides can be forgiven of their sin and washed clean. But these sacrifices that were given regularly again and again were never sufficient in and of themselves. They were only intended to prepare us for the once for all sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect unblemished Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Now there's an unusual line here. When Linda read it, it said, my ears you have opened. Another reading says, my ears you have pierced. Another reading says, a body you have prepared for me. Now what's going on here? Are they meaning three different things or meaning one thing? One understanding is it's an ear that's open to hear the instruction of God. 
A second understanding is it's a symbol of a commitment to lifelong service. In Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 15, it says that in the Sabbath year, an Israelite slave was to be set free. Slave for six years and then released in the seventh, the Sabbath year. But a slave could choose to continue on as a servant of the master. Often this would be because his wife and children were also slaves and were not up to their year of freedom. Or it might be out of love for the master that he would desire to continue to serve him. And to signify this choice, the man would have his ear pierced, a permanent mark on his body that he voluntarily and comprehensively committed himself to lifelong service for the master out of love for that master. Now, what an amazing picture of the Lord Jesus. He spoke these words when he came into this world. In his eternal freedom, he chose to become one of us, to take a body that was prepared for him, to take on, as Philippians 2 says, the nature of a servant in order to do the will of the Father, as he expressed in John 4, 34 and John 6, 38. This was the internal Son of God, becoming incarnate for our sakes. And his body that had been prepared, he gave it. He allowed it to be broken. He allowed his blood to be shed because he was giving his life as that perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. He came not to be served, but to serve. Now these verses are primarily helping us see more clearly what the Lord Jesus has done on our behalf. But secondly, they are amazingly also written by David a thousand years before Jesus to give us some understanding of how a devoted believer will respond to the Lord. You see, David, a thousand years before Jesus, had come to understand something, the consistent teaching of the Old Testament, that what God ultimately desires from human beings is not sacrifices and offerings and religious and moral efforts, but wholehearted trust, undivided loyalty, single-minded obedience. God assesses the attitude and intentions of the heart, not just external compliance to a standard. Now we see this in 1 Samuel 15 when um, Samuel speaks to Saul. We see this in, uh, in Psalm 51 when David repents of his sin of murder and adultery. We see this in Isaiah 1 when God speaks to Judah and Jeremiah 7 when God speaks to Judah later on. And we see it in Micah 6 when God again speaks to that southern kingdom. Consistently, God is saying, it's not the externals that it's, is most important. It's your heart's desire, love for the Lord and love for others expressed in behavior. That's what I'm really looking at. 
Now, external obedience to God's commands doesn't actually bring the internal change. God must do a work within us to enable that to happen, to give us motivation and love to guide our behaviour so that it's all aligned. So in Ezekiel 37, God gives a promise that he would do something inside the believer to move them to walk in God's ways. Ezekiel 37, sorry, 36, 25 to 27. God says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. These Old Testament believers became aware that they needed a saviour, but they also needed an enabler, one that would transform from the inside out. They were saved as they put their trust in God to provide a sufficient sacrifice to bring forgiveness and to bring the needed change within them. Now, you and I have the advantage of knowing the means that God used to bring that about, of knowing the Lord Jesus as our substitute and sacrifice, and knowing the Holy Spirit as the counsellor, the enabler, the one that comes alongside. God always initiates and we respond to his saving work. He provides the way and we walk in it. And Jesus not only shows us the way of how we are to live as an obedient one before the heavenly father, but he is the way. And as we are united with him, he is able to continue to live his life in us and through us. Jeremiah 31 says, um, I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. Verse 8 says, I desire to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. That was David's heart's desire a thousand years before the Lord Jesus came. That was the Lord Jesus' driving motivation to do the will of his Father. And for the devoted believer who has that resolved heart and pierced ear and body of a servant, that is our calling as well. So some application. Have you got your ears pierced? We're not just talking about what the ladies will do. It's similar to the baptism of the hearts, the circumcision of the hearts, the pierced ear that symbolizes that voluntary coming to the Lord Jesus and seeing him as your saviour, and following him as your Lord. So do you trust him fully as your saviour? Have you turned away from any confidence in your religious or moral efforts? The way of human religion is do and do and do some more. The way of Jesus is he has done it. So trust him and rest in him. 
And have you given yourself fully to Jesus as your Lord? Would you be willing to have a permanent mark placed on your body for all to see for the rest of your lives that, yes, I belong to Jesus. My body no longer belongs to me. I am comprehensively committed to him. And I know my fickleness and I know my habit to drift. So part of my comprehensive commitment is to ask him to do that work in me, that I would continue to walk in his ways, that he would write his law in my heart. So is his law written in your heart? Are you spending time regularly with the scriptures open seeking him? seeking to know him and allowing your heart to be shaped by him? Do you know the witness of the Spirit who is within the believer who moves us to follow in the ways of God? And can you say with the Lord Jesus, my food is to do the will of my Father? And thirdly, are you aware that your body has been given in order for you to serve. It's not yours or mine to do as I please. It's been granted to us as a gift that we might live in this beautiful world and live a life of service, imitating the Lord Jesus. Number four, an open mouth. We get to verses 9 and 10. And look at the verbs of David here. I proclaim, I speak, I don't seal my lips, I don't hide in my heart, I do not conceal. The changes happen and it becomes verbal. He speaks it out. And what does he talk about when he speaks? God's righteousness, his faithfulness. His salvation, his love, his truth. And where does he speak it? In the great congregation, the great assembly. Now primarily this would be the gathering of believers where they speak out testimony of the goodness and greatness of God. But it may just be his hyperbolic way of saying, I want to tell the whole world. So what's some application here? A couple of months, oh, about a month ago, we had Zach and Amy come up and give feedback. We've been in Melbourne for a month. Our son, our baby boy has gone through surgery. We know many of you have been praying and we have been praying and we want to give testimony in this congregation for what the Lord has done in response to our prayer. And they spoke of God's faithfulness and God's presence during distress and God's healing power. And they gave testimony to that in this great congregation, this gathering of believers. We've also heard Kate share some stories of life in South Asia, giving testimony to inspire and encourage us so that as she goes, we can be praying so that many will see and hear that she can be speaking out 
in that great assembly of a different nation that she can speak of God's faithfulness and love and salvation. So an application. Is your conversation flavoured in these ways? There might be ways for us more formally in this gathering to share these testimonies, but what about all those informal conversations and friendships? Have we learned that art to share the stories of our life in such a way that we end up speaking and maybe start by speaking of the goodness and faithfulness and love of God? Can you imagine if that was our ethos in this place? That anyone that comes in just hears natural testimony of a living God who is at work in and through the lives of his people. Number five, wrestling in prayer. This is behind the scenes. This section is so important that verse 13 to 17 is actually a psalm within a psalm. It shows up later on as Psalm 70. It must be important for us, for our spiritual life. You see, the devoted life does not come by accident. It comes from hours spent in the presence of God with an open Bible and a humble heart and a reflective awareness of one's vulnerabilities and circumstances. As David describes what's going on, he says, Lord, please do not withhold your mercy from me and may your love and your tr truth always protect me for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. So refreshingly honest. There is trouble surrounding him, trouble without number. Perhaps they were his circumstances. Perhaps he lived with difficult people in his life. Perhaps there was demonic harassment going on. And he also discerns that there is trouble within, sin entangling. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. Can you relate to seasons in your life where sin had taken such a hold that it was blinding you to many aspects about yourself or the way through? Now, David's not completely blind in his sin because he knows that sin can blind. He takes that first humble step in truly seeing by confessing that and seeking the Lord. And so with trouble surrounding and sin entangling, his heart is failing. He's overwhelmed. He's drowning. Now the privilege of the believer, saved by grace, is that all of this complexity can be brought to our Heavenly Father. And we can be confident of his mercy and love and truth. But the complexity is real. Life in a broken world is full of hardship. Simplistic theology just doesn't cut it. A believer must learn how to come to the Lord and wrestling on the one hand with what he knows to be true of God 
and on the other hand, the raw experience of life that the believer is currently living through. Now, the Bible has numerous examples of this. Jesus in Gethsemane is the ultimate example of a humble believer wrestling with what the Lord is calling him to do. But consider these others. Psalm 22 might look at that later, going back and forth. This is who you are, God, but this is what I'm experiencing. Wrestling that through. You might look at Ezra and Nehemiah and Daniel. Heartfelt prayers poured out in a particular stage of national crisis. You might pray with Jeremiah through lamentations. You might read the short little book of Habakkuk, trying to understand, God, where are you when life is such a mess? But back to Psalm 40. Where does David get to in his wrestling? He knows where his help comes from. Unless the Lord intervenes, I will be overwhelmed by these troubles surrounding or this sin entangling. And he starts to side his prayers from God's perspective. May those who oppose God be shamed. May those who seek the Lord be honoured. And ultimately, may the Lord be exalted in my life. Now, no one else can teach you or I this sort of prayer. It gets learned in experience. It's the mature season, faith and prayer life that comes as we live in hardship and suffering and seek to be faithful to the Lord. Now this worries me because our culture places such a high value on comfort and ease and convenience and pleasure Will we be a generation that does not learn how to pray like this because we keep seeking to insulate ourselves from the very learning times where the Lord will grow it in us? So how will we learn this? Two suggestions. The first is start fasting. Learn, explore, experiment. Applying fasting practices helps us to see how we can learn this sort of wrestling. We can fast as a regular practice, or we can fast for special, particular situations, but we need to learn how to fast and pray. A second way to learn it is to pray with Africans. <laughs> now, obviously, Linda and I have had a life experience of praying with Africans and we've just particularly seen the hardship that that continent has lived through and the believers that are living faithfully for the Lord amidst that hardship. They've learned how to pray. When Africans pray, they sweat. You and I don't sweat when we pray. They pray because they are pouring their hearts out to the Lord. So pray with Africans, develop other cross-cultural friendships with Bibles open and praying together. It guards us against our blind spots. 
and learn the stories of the persecuted church. God has called each one of us to be part of a global multi-ethnic family of believers. And we need to humbly take our place as learners in that family, being alongside brothers and sisters, seeking the Lord together and learning how to wrestle in prayer. So some application for this one. What will your prayer rhythms look like during 2023? Will it be the year when you learn how to wrestle in prayer? Will it be the year when you learn how to fast? How to incorporate that practice into your prayer life? Would you consider a psalm a day or reading some of the other prayers in the scriptures? Is there someone that you can pray with? Someone whose faith has been seasoned through suffering and matured along a long walk with the Lord? Do you know how to pray with honesty of hearts? Like any relationship, it takes time to learn to trust. But the Lord is the ultimate safe space that we go to to share what is happening in our hearts. So learn to go to the Lord first before any person and before reaching for your phone. Go to the Lord and seek him and share what is on your heart. The Psalms and the laments and the prophets give us wonderful permission to speak honestly to the Lord and they are a safe and reliable guide to a deeper and richer prayer life. Number six, one little verse at the end, a settled spirit. I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer, O oh my God, do not delay. Now this describes the humble believer aware of their spiritual poverty and immense need, wholly trusting in the grace and help and deliverance of the Lord. It's a prayer that expresses childlike faith, which is actually the most mature faith that we can have. Now, you might wonder why I've described this as a settled spirit. It's clear that the danger is still pressing and urgent for David but he has learned some secrets of the devoted life. His eyes have been wide open to who God is. His trust is maturing. His heart is resolved. He has wrestled in prayer, and now his spirit is settled, knowing the trust is well-placed in a God who has proven himself in the past and promised himself in the future. And so David's soul can rest, even in the midst of a storm. Now, do you remember that little picture in the Gospels? The disciples are in the boat, the storm is happening, the wind and the waves, and what's Jesus doing? He's in the back, asleep. He had learned how to have a completely settled spirit amidst the storms of life. And he is able to give peace to us 
that transcends understanding, that doesn't actually make sense for the circumstances we might be living through, but it's a gift of grace that the childlike believer can say, my heavenly father has got this. Can you think back to a time as a kid, perhaps life had overwhelmed you as a six-year-old and you came home and you fell apart and your mum said, come here, you're not alone, I'm with you. Or your dad came in and said, honey, let me look after this for you. I'll just take care of it. You don't need to fear. All is well. Do you remember that sort of feeling? That's the childlike faith that our Heavenly Father invites us to because he promises his presence and promises to provide and promises to protect so all is well and my soul can rest. Now, David that wrote this last verse also wrote the exuberant testimony at the beginning. I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned and he lifted me up and put a new song and many will see and fear. He wrote both. Sometimes the exuberant words of verses 1 to 3 will match what you want to say. Sometimes it's these quiet words of verse 17 that will do the job. Sometimes all that the devoted believer can pray is, Jesus, please help. But the devoted believer will know that the Lord is present and hears the cry of the brokenhearted, so all is well. So an application for this one, perhaps you'd like to remember this one verse and memorize it and put it on your bathroom mirror or on your steering wheel, somewhere that you will see at the start of every day. Maybe stick it onto your phone. <laughs> so you see that before the phone opens. To remind you that you're a child of God with a wonderful heavenly father. And whatever storms are ahead for today, your soul can rest, confident in his provision and protection and presence. So let's draw these threads together and recap on some of this application and then we'll pray. So in Psalm 40, David sees what God is like and it inspires a devoted life. Gives us so many opportunities to respond in worship and trust and obedience. So a personal testimony. Do you have those testimonies to share as the Lord works in your life? Remember those two 16-year-olds that thought, we're going to write a psalm and we're going to sing it so that others can hear and share the joy of what we have seen. A matured trust. Will you take some time today to Shabbat, to cease, in order to remember the goodness of God in your life? A resolved heart. Is your heart resolved to trust the Lord Jesus as your saviour? and follow him wholeheartedly as your Lord? Are you all in as a disciple of Jesus? Is your ear pierced and heart resolved and body prepared for a life of service? Are you permanently and visibly identified as belonging to Jesus? An open mouth, 
Will you come each week to a growth group or a Sunday gathering ready to hear and share the stories of God at work in the lives of his people? Will you speak up? And will you draw near to listen to others? Will our conversations during the week be flavoured by stories that describe the love and truth and faithfulness of the Lord? Wrestling in prayer, what will your prayer practices be like this year? Make some plans today. And a settled spirit, will you memorise verse 17 to grow this settled spirit of a child of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious psalm. Thank you that it speaks of the Lord Jesus in prophetic ways. Thank you that it also speaks truly of David's experience and can be a guide to us to respond in the various circumstances of life that we find ourselves in. Please do that work inside of us that we can't do for ourselves. Please make us devoted to you, that we would spend the rest of our lives in service of you, and that we would do that not out of duty or an onerous burden, but out of joy and gratitude and appreciation for your grace that you've shown us in so many ways. Amen.